0: Well, good morning. If you'd like to go ahead and take your Bibles out, we'll be looking at them in just a moment as we consider a topic that uh, we, we haven't talked about in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. We'd started looking at this idea of checking our, our wellness and, and making sure that spiritually we are, we, we are doing well in the Lord that we are not in need of, of, of you know we're not sick, we are not in need of of, of healing of, of growing in areas where we're looking at these ideas and and it's been just a, a few weeks since we've spoke on this topic, but uh, I, I saw a post that reminded me of it and, and kind of drew my mind back towards uh, towards this sermon today and and that was a post on Facebook that some some friends of mine put up. Referring uh, regarding WebMD. Now, if you're uh, maybe a, you're a, you've been on that website before, or you've heard of that before, uh, maybe you have have spent on that website before, or you've heard of that before. Uh, maybe you have have spent long hours searching that website, or maybe you've never heard of it. What it is is a website that you take your symptoms, you take the things that are going on, the, your, your, the way you feel, wh- what's happening to you, and it gives you a list of things that could possibly be wrong with you. And so a friend of mine posted on Facebook the other day, uh, said, I self-diagnosed myself on WebMD last night and realized I've been dead for the last six years. Now, the the, the humor in that is the fact that WebMD has the ability to take very mild symptoms. I have a headache and and clammy skin and and, and just kind of uneasiness in my, my, my stomach and find everything that possibly could be wrong with that and and what that could possibly be symptoms of, and usually the ones we tend to look on are the worst ones. We tend to look down at the things that, oh man, that, that right there could kill me, versus oh, maybe I just ate something that isn't sitting very well on my stomach, um, and, and everything that possibly could be wrong with that, and and, and what that could possibly be symptoms of, and usually... The ones we tend to look on are the worst ones. We tend to look down at the things that, oh, man, that, that right there could kill me versus, oh, maybe I just ate something that isn't setting very well on my stomach. Um, and, and so I think the reason that that we do this is because we hold to such a high regard our physical health. Uh, whenever we we look at our physical bodies and, and something isn't quite right, that makes us nervous. That makes us concerned. Uh, we have a propensity towards imagining the very worst when it comes to our physical wellness. But oftentimes we have maybe the opposite towards our spiritual wellness. Sometimes in that category, we just like to kind of say, you know what, I'm fit as a fiddle over here. I, everything is going good. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm well. I don't need to, to, to worry about these things. But when given the eternal consequences of our spiritual wellness, these things examining our spiritual wellness what we have been asking is how well are we serving God and we have looked in ways uh, as as we have went through our our checkup so to speak we have looked at how we are are hearing whenever Jesus uh, spoke often and said "Have, have you not heard how well do we hear God when he speaks to us through his word that would include how well are we reading the word that is recorded for us. What about our speech? How well are we talking? Does our speech reflect the, the, that we are the oracles of God? Is it filled with grace? And what about our prayer life? How well are we praying? We continue that look today with how well are we singing? And I want to say right now before we get in, and I will say multiple times in the sermon, this question, how well do you sing, is not based on talent. This is not a question based on our ability to sing. But we need to understand that singing is very important. And we need to consider some things about it. One of the things that I, that I noticed as we as I looked into this, this sermon is that Jesus is recorded as singing. Maybe that's not something that we really think a lot about, the, the times in which Jesus sang. If you look back to Psalm 22, and of course, any, any sermon about singing is usually going to rely a lot on the Psalms, and we're going to be looking in them quite a bit. So if you want to maybe put a marker here in Psalm, we'll flip back over to it a couple times. But in Psalm 22 and in verse 22, that's Jesus saying. If you look back to Psalm 22, and of course, any, any sermon about singing is usually going to rely a lot on the Psalms, and we're going to be looking in them quite a bit. So if you want to maybe put a marker here in Psalm, we'll flip back over to it a couple times. But in Psalm 22 and in verse 22, David is the author of this psalm. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Now certainly, David is the author of this psalm. But as many of the psalms do, if not all of the psalms, they reflect and look forward uh, towards the coming of the Christ. And the Hebrew writer makes that connection as well in Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse uh, 11 through through 12 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren, and are reflecting about Christ and reflecting one, <clears throat> that He is one with those whom He has sanctified, and therefore He is able to call them brethren, because they both have the Father which is in heaven, but also that, they, that He will sing with His brethren the praises of God. Jesus was given to singing. In Matthew chapter 26, we read a little bit more about this. Matthew 26, Matthew records that before going up to the Garden of, Geth, uh, of Gethsemane, before going to the Mount Olives, I should say, that he, that he is uh, singing uh, after the, Lord, the, the, the Lord's Supper is first instituted as they observe the Passover. Matthew 26, verse 30, When they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Singing was important to our Lord. And singing should be important to us as well. And it is an important indicator of our spiritual well-being because it's an expression of our faith and it's an expression of our joy in God. And it is also a means in which we encourage one another and in which we we build one another and ourselves up to our service in the Lord. And so I say, how well do you sing? And I want to point out that there are different types of singers. And to uh, to notice that we are not talking about talents. As we look through these different types of singers, we will see that never once does talent come in to the, to the conversation whenever we are talking about singing and praising God. The first type of singers that I want to point out are, are just those who just flat out refuse to sing. I'll be there at the services, but I'm not going to sing. And what that is is a violation of God's commands. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 now this section in Ephesians, is, we're, we're talking about this in the Bible class and Richard will, will be here and we'll talk more about this passage, but specifically in, in chapter 5, starting around verse 15, he's telling them to walk in a certain way and to walk in wisdom, not foolishly. Be, use your time wisely and don't be drunk with wine or with dissipation. He's saying there is a wrong way in which you are to walk. And then he gives them a contrast to that. Starting in verse 18, after he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, yes, this is a passage that we go to often to to show our authority for singing, to show that often, To show our authority for singing. To show that God has told us how He wants us to praise Him. And it is not with musical instruments. It is not with a band. It is with what He has given us in our our vocal cords. He calls for us to sing. But more importantly than that, more importantly than saying this is our, our authority for not having instrumental music, this is God's request to hear us. He is calling for His followers, His believers, to sing to Him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, a passage that is uh, oftentimes used as a sister passage to this one. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Even over in James chapter 5, James chapter 5, one other passage that maybe we don't always pull into this whenever we were talking about singing. James chapter 5, verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? James chapter 5, one other passage that maybe we don't always pull into this whenever we were talking about singing. James chapter 5, verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Christians over and over and over again are called to be singing. And so to not sing is simply not an option given to us by God. But that leads to the second type of singers we want to look at. There are those who sing uh, begrudgingly. They sing because they feel this is my duty, this is my obligation. I sing because I have to. God tells me to sing, and so I have to sing. And singing, we recognize, is giving praise. Giving praise to God. Giving words of edification to your brethren. And so oblig- obligatory singing is, as with any type of giving, something that's not pleasing to God. When we give because, because we have to. When we give because what is what's commanded of us, and I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to do it. Well, that's not what God's looking for in givers. Turn back over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and in verse 7. We read here about the, the the collection that was taking place for the, the needy saints and, and Paul was talking about the ways in which they were to give. And in verse seven he says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly <coughs> excuse me, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now yes unbegrudgingly. We need to give our time cheerfully. Whenever we give of our our time spent in prayer, time spent in serving others, whatever that be, we need to do it with a a cheerful heart. And giving praises in song is no different. If we give praises in song because we have to and it's begrudgingly, we might as well not sing at all. Because we're not offering up anything better than what those who refuse to sing. But then you have those who half-heartedly sing they sing uh, words with their mouth but their hearts are not in it now I think it's very possible for us to to look at this type of worship and and miss the point a little bit in, in what is being said when we hear someone that says they're not singing with their heart because Jesus talks about that type of worship and he calls it hypocritical back in Matthew chapter 15 we'll look at that in just a moment Matthew 15 verses 7 and 8 but whenever you hear someone say, well, that person is singing with all their heart, usually, usually what we're saying is that that person is giving it everything they have. They're, they are singing from the bottom of their belly. They're, they're, uh, I, th- I think they call it, diaf- well, I'm not even going to try. I'm going to yeah. mess the word. Diaphragmatic singing, maybe. But, but they, they are singing with everything they have, and that's not singing with your heart. We need to understand that that's different than singing with a full heart. Look over in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, verses seven through eight. Jesus here uh, quotes back to a passage in Isaiah when he tells, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees who had asked, why don't your disciples follow the teachings of the traditions of the elders? And Jesus was rebuking them when he said, hypocrites, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. When he was saying their heart was far from me, he wasn't saying that they, they kept these doctrines uh, with with all of their uh, with, with with just a little bit of their being. They should have kept them with all of their being. He was saying that the life that you are offering up is not matching to the words that you are proclaiming. And that is the same thing that can happen to us. Whenever we judge someone on whether or not they are singing with all their hearts, it's not about the words and the music coming out of their mouth. We're not saying, does your words match, uh, or does your style, or does your ability match the words that you're saying? We're asking, does your life match the words that you are saying? Turn over to, I should have brought my songbook up. We Turn over to number 230. Number 230, this world is not my home. A song that, that we sing here, we've sang several times. And I want us to notice a few things about this song. Just the first verse in the chorus alone. It says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. In the first, song, uh, first verse of that song, and in the chorus, we have phrases that our lives need to reflect when we sing that song. If we are singing half-heartedly, we sing that song, but as soon as we leave these doors, we reflect that our our treasures are not laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Our treasures are laid up in our job, in our bank accounts, in our belly, in in, in the food. Uh, We we reflect where our treasures really are if we're singing half-heartedly. Whenever we say, Jesus, I have no friend like you, does our lives reflect that? That He is our all in all. That He is the head. That He is what we need more than anything else. You can see how singing half-heartedly makes us akin to those hypocrites, those scribes and Pharisees, who with their mouths, praise God, but their hearts and their lives were far from Him. It's easy for us to fall into this kind of singing. Maybe this is one of the most easiest ones for, for me to try and, and, and have to guard myself against because that's the easiest one for me to fall into. Not recognizing that the words that we sing are commitments from our hearts to God and to one another. Singer, And that are those who sing to impress others. Now, this is not to say that if you have abilities, if you have a talent, if you have training, that you should, you should hide that. That's not what I'm saying. But like praying. If we sing to receive praise from others, then we are not singing to praise God. Look over in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus spoke about praying here. He said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the corner of the streets they, have, they may be seen by men, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. If the praise we are looking for in our singing is from men, is from the congregation. If that's the if that's what we are seeking, then we have we have gained our reward. How much higher a reward to come from God, that He has heard our sacrifice of praise, and that He was pleased. We need to consider that, whether we be talented and trained or whether we have uh, even even have no ability. The focus of our singing needs to be on pleasing God and not on pleasing man. And so that leads me to the last uh, type of singer that we'll look at, and that's those who sing with melody and grace in their hearts. Paul instructed the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.19 as we read, to sing and make melody in your hearts. And the purpose of all of this was to, was to encourage and to edify and to build up and to teach one another. Colossians 3.16, he also instructed the Colossians the same way. To sing with grace in our hearts and with thanksgiving so that we might all be able to dwell, or let the Word of Christ dwell in us. And we were building one another up towards that point. But the most important reason to sing is found in passages like Psalm 95. <clears throat> Turn back over to Psalms. The book of Psalms, Psalm 95, in verses 1, uh, 1 through 3. David uh, or the psalmist records here he says oh come let us sing to the Lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation let us come before his presence with thanksgiving let us shout joyfully to him with psalms for the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods we sing to praise God he is the primary audience to our singing. He is the one whose ears we are trying to reach with our with our songs of praise because he is higher than anything else on this earth. The great God, the great king. Psalm 96 continues this thought. Verse 1 says, "Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name." Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Tell you what, if you're ever curious or have someone saying, Is there a difference? That Old Testament, that's something completely different. That's nothing like the New Testament. You can go to Psalm 96. Because That is the gospel in a nutshell. Praise God amongst the nations. Praise God amongst the people. Tell the world of His greatness. Why? Verse 2? Uh, because we are to proclaim the good news of His salvation. I think, I think Romans completely ripped that off of, of, of the psalmist there in Romans 1, uh, verse 17. The good news of the salvation, the gospel. Is God's power to save. This is the way that we are to sing. These are the kind of singing difference. That Old Testament, that's something completely different. That's nothing like the New Testament. You can go to Psalm 96. Because that is the gospel in a nutshell. Praise God amongst the nations. Praise God amongst the people. Tell the world of His greatness. Why? Verse uh, 2. Because we are to proclaim the good news of His salvation. I think, I think Romans completely ripped that off of, of, of the psalmist there. In Romans 1, uh, verse 17. The good news of the salvation, the gospel, is God's power to save. This is the way that we are to sing. These are the kind of singers that we need to be striving to be. Those who, who sing with grace and melody in their hearts. Those who sing to praise God. Those who sing to be built up by their brethren and to build up their brethren. But why? Maybe it would help us to look at that for a moment and ask, why is it important for us to understand and to be proper singers? Well, as we already mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians three sixteen, this is to avoid sin. By refusing to sing, we are refusing to do that which God has commanded us to do. By singing improperly, by singing so that the world can think we're good singers, by singing so, so that we, we uh, are doing so because we feel like we have to, or, or singing and not really meaning the words that we say, we are singing improperly, and again, we are violating and making false promises To the Lord, we must sing. But it must be the right kind of singing. Hebrews uh, 13 helps us to understand this a little bit better. Flip over there. Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 15. Hebrews 13.15. The Hebrew writer says here, Therefore by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. The fruit of our lips, the words that we, that we say and sing and pray, these are sacrifices that we make to God. Now that word sacrifice needs to draw our minds back to the Old Testament. Needs to draw our minds back to the way in which the children of Israel and, and the, the patriarchs before them worshipped and praised God through the sacrificing of animals. And what we need to recognize is that it's possible to do that incorrectly. Cain offered up an unacceptable sacrifice. The the children of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, offered up unacceptable sacrifices in the the strange fire that they offered to the Lord. Malachi goes on to tell us, uh, if if those instances weren't enough to show us that God is not pleased by unacceptable sacrifices, turn over to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1 and read God's own thoughts on unacceptable sacrifices. He uses such, strange, uh, such strong language, I should say, in, in these passages. He says in verse 6: A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am the master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that He may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will He accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible, and you also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? Says the Lord. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. One thing that we really need to see in this passage that God sees the sacrifices that we offer up they're not just sacrifices that that they were just doing these things and God really didn't care he intimately cares about what they were doing and he saw the sacrifices and he saw the heart behind the sacrifices that was required they had to have a heart of of wanting to do this that's why in verse in 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 verse 12 uh, I should say verse 13 he says, you say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. They didn't even really want to be doing the things they were doing and this displeased God. And they were offering up the lame and the blind. They weren't offering up the best and this displeased God. And he even goes as far to say in verse, in verse 10, which one of you is going to shut the doors? He's speaking about the temple. Who is going to close up the temple so that these terrible sacrifices aren't even made anymore? That is more pleasing to me then the pitiful sacrifices that they were offering up and what we need to see by that is that God still views our praise today as a sacrifice and it is possible to offer up sacrifices that are unacceptable that's why it's important to understand proper singing because first and foremost our sacrifices go to God to praise God the great king and whose name is to be feared but secondly, or thirdly I should say, it's to encourage one another. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 made this clear. We speak not only to God, but to one another. We teach one another. We admonish one another. And so we need to consider whether our singing affects one another in a positive way or in a negative way. If I refuse to sing, am I really affecting you in a positive way? Am I helping you to be, to be taught? And in seeing this thing in, in this way, And seeing that we avoid our personal sin, we avoid offering things unacceptable to God, and we we avoid discouraging one another, then we start to realize that we're talking about a three-dimensional act of worship. We're talking about an act of worship that goes up to God. We're talking about an act of worship that goes inwardly to build us up and an act of worship that goes outwardly to edify the congregation, the family that is around us. And when we start to maybe view it in that way, it's hard not to see that this is something that deserves my attention. This is something that deserves my time and my thought. And so what are some ways that I can better sing? And one more time, not talking about talent. What are some ways that I can sing to be pleasing to God? What are some ways that I can sing to avoid sin in my life? And what are some ways I can sing to build up those who are around me? The first one is we need to involve our minds in our singing. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. There Paul tells us to, to sing with understanding. He says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. It's important for us to understand that it is the words that we sing that are important, not the music. The words should be our primary focus of our singing. Whenever we are song leaders and we prepare our songs we need to make sure that we, we look at the songs and go, let's make sure that these words are appropriate for what we are about to do as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Maybe it would be more appropriate to sing songs that are focused on the promises of Christ's return, the, the death of Christ on the cross, the, the importance of the fellowship that we have with one another with Christ, as opposed to Uh, the songs of invitation that we sometimes sing to, to invite people to come to him and maybe to flip the script it's vice versa it's important for us to sing songs fitted to the situation so as song leaders we need to have a mind of it but as singers we need to use our minds as well as we sing these words am i going to live these words am i going to walk by these words to make sure that we are singing with our hearts making commitments to one another and to god we must be careful. That we don't slip into the idea of, of simply singing for enjoyment of singing. Not to say that it's that we can't enjoy our singing, but that the primary focus is not just to have a good time. The primary focus is to praise God. The primary focus is to build up one another. We need to give careful attention, uh, attention, and use our minds whenever we are we are singing. We also need to, and this I, th- I think goes without saying, but we'll say it, use our voice. That is an important part of singing is our, our voice, our mouths, and our lips. The psalmist again writes, go back over to Psalms, Psalm 63, verse 5. He writes about the joy of singing. That it is a joy not to, not to his heart, but a joy to his, to his lips. Psalm 63, verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul which you have redeemed. Singing out with joy as we sing these songs that that we are are pleased and we are happy to to be able to have the opportunity to sacrifice to God in this way, to sing these praises to Him is one way in which we can help ourselves to sing better, to sing more pleasing to God, to to, to be able to help those around us. Uh, We look back to, to the fact that we are singing to God. And certainly God deserves the very best that our voices have to offer. But so do our family, the family that is around us. They deserve us to give our best to that. And when we sing with joy and when we sing in such a way that it is clear, we enunciate our words rather than maybe just kind of mumbling through a song. We sing so that our brethren can hear our love for God and that God can hear our love for Him as He certainly judges from our hearts and our brethren hear from our mouths. These are things that that we can do to help. Another thing is to sit near others. When you sit near those who love to sing, it makes it easier for you to love to sing. When you sit near someone who just, uh, as we mentioned before, someone who just flat out refuses to sing, and you're singing by yourself, it makes it a little bit hard to really enjoy this and really sing your greatest. But when you're gathered together with those who just love singing, love praising God, it's it's hard not to get swept up in that. To be swept up in, in, in the, the feeling of, pra- of praising God together. Singing is more enjoyable whenever we do that with, with, with one another. Rather than when we are spread out, when we are sitting alone. Oftentimes those things discourage us from singing as we might have done otherwise. We are oftentimes more uplifted, more edified by sitting together. This, this, afternoon, this afternoon, you will sit together as we, as we uh, on the, every third Sunday of the month. We have a singing service. And we'll all typically sit on one side of the building and we'll scrunch together instead of being spread out all over. And, and it's hard not to notice on those Sundays that, that that singing feels a little better, sounds a little better because we are close to one another. And we are enjoying one another's fellowship and singing. And I hate to break it to you, but that's not, that's not doesn't have to just be reserved to the third Sunday afternoon. There's no reason we can't feel that way every Sunday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, every Wednesday night. We have many gaps in our, in our pews tonight, or this morning. We have many gaps here. We could all move to the front. We could all pick one side or, or pick both sides and try to fill up every pew so that there's no space and leave the back pews for visitors. In doing these sorts of things, we are taking steps to enjoying our singing more by sitting with those who just absolutely love to sing. We also can utilize the opportunities. As we mentioned, we're going to have a singing this afternoon. We try to do a, a monthly singing at, our, a, at a house there's some congregations that set aside special classes for learning what these, you know, as we flip through our songbook, and some of these notes are triangles, and some are circles, and some are squares. Some of them have this little curly, squiggly pigtail thing at the top, and some of them have that backward C, and just what on earth does all this mean? That is, that is confusing to me, and yes, it's, it's hard to enjoy our singing when we don't really know what we're, what we're looking at. And some churches provide classes to help us understand that. One thing that we are actively trying to do here at Lake Street is help one another know more about what these things mean, not through classes, but through getting together as families in our homes and singing more together in our homes. Let's take advantage of these opportunities. Let's take advantage to grow in our understanding of what we're, of what we're doing as we're singing and grow in our opportunities to, to sing together as a family. And then lastly, let's expand our sphere of our singing. Is your singing simply limited to once, maybe twice, or three times a week? Is the only time that you sing the time that the brethren come together here to sing praises to God? Singing, like prayer, needs to be spontaneous. In Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, verse 25 we have the record of Paul and Silas while they were in uh, in, in jail. It says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas weren't waiting to get back together with the saints. They were taking the opportunity that they had to do what Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 talked about to sing with grace and melody in the heart, giving thanks to God. They were thankful for God at a time such as this. In the middle of the night and stuck in a prison, they were thankful to God. They were singing praises to Him. That's another thing that those passages help us to understand. It's not just that God instructs us to pray to Him in the congregation, in the church, in the worship assembly. God wants us to have a song on our hearts to Him all the time. We are to be thankful for Him all the time and ready to offer up our praise to Him. So maybe as you travel to work, sing. As you meditate and pray, sing. Whenever things are going well and when things are going bad, sing. Increase the the opportunities that we have to sing to God whenever we are together and whenever we are alone in our private time offering up praise to Him. These are ways, these are steps towards singing better. Towards singing more pleasing to God. Towards singing more edifying to your brethren. And towards singing in ways that will build you up yourself more. In fact, when we look back one more time to the Psalms, we will find over and over again a man who is described as a man after God's own heart and who writes, uh, David writes in Psalm 13 and in verse 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully to me. In Psalm 57, verse 9, he says, I will praise You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to You among the nations. And then in Psalm 104, Psalm 104 in verse 33, he says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. And he called upon others to sing praises both to in in public and in private. Psalm 149 verse one, he says to praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and to praise Him in the assembly of the saints. And in 149, verse 5, says, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. We are followers of the Son of David. We are followers of Jesus. Should we love to sing praises to God? Well, should we love to sing spiritual songs any less than Him? How well we sing Spiritually speaking, how well we sing is a powerful indicator to our spiritual wellness. We have a reason to sing. He has saved us. He has redeemed us from sin. The thought, when understood, even the hardest of heart, when it understands that that thought, that He has died so that we can be free from that which, which held us in bondage and we had no hope of escaping, it has no excuse not to be moved to words of praise for our great God. This morning, if you would like to understand the reason that we love to sing to our God, it is because we have been saved through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He can save you too. His gospel, as we read and as we talked about in Romans 1, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That is what we are to proclaim. That is what we are to sing to the world. This morning, do you believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God? Do you believe that He came to this world to die on the cross, not for His sins, but for the sins that this world committed? And do you believe that enough to confess with your words that He is now King and Lord, and to confess with your life, with your actions and your deeds, that He is your Lord? Are you willing to be baptized, submit to Him in obedience, to be forgiven of your sins? And are you willing to be steadfast? There is not a better time than now to take advantage of the, of the salvation that He offers. And having done so, you will understand, you will desire to sing. And it begins with a step. As we, I, I encourage you to take that step as we come forward right now, as we stand and as we sing.